When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Mark Meadows reportedly flipped and took a plea deal and will testify against Trump and tell the jury Trump said then that's the end as early as December 11th, 2020. Jenna Ellis flipped and took a plea deal and will testify against Giuliani. Sidney Powell flipped and took a plea deal. Kenneth Chesbrough flipped and took a plea deal. Don't look now, but there's something funny going on over there at the bank, George. I've never really seen one, but that's got all the earmarks of being a run. Next. Unbelievable as this sounds, Rudy Giuliani now has to flip. He may literally have no other choice. He has no money. MAGA has stopped funding him. Jenna Ellis's principal value as a witness is against him, and she literally signed a You Must Testify agreement. Kenny the Cheese confessed to doing what Giuliani told him to do on the fake electors' filings in Georgia. Meadows just reportedly told Jack Smith's prosecutors that he told Trump in the middle of December of 2020 that Giuliani had produced only allegations, no evidence. And now Meadows has to testify in the federal case, and he's still really liable in the Georgia case. And if he pleads out there, he'll obviously give them Rudy there. Trump has not ridden to Rudy's financial rescue. Rudy is screwed. Rudy needs to flip. And while the John Eastmans of this world are fanatics and still not only believe they will be vindicated, but believe they will avenge themselves against the prosecutors and be named Attorney General Chief Crusader something, the only thing Rudy Giuliani is a fanatic about is Rudy Giuliani. At some point soon, he is going to snap out of his Scotch and Viagra haze and realize that Trump sold him out. And Meadows and Ellis and Chesbro are ready to send him to the big house. And time is running out on the lifeboat because it really is 
a run on the plea deal bank. Obviously, Rudy is not the target here and not why Jack Smith granted Mark Meadows immunity to testify to the Washington grand jury, as ABC reports. Trump is the target. That has been obvious since the spring. The May 25th edition of this series, five months ago today, was titled, Did Meadows Flip? And I pointed out that there were three bombshell news reports about the investigation of Trump coming out at that time, including the claim that, quote, some of Trump's close associates are bracing for his indictment. And the bizarre footnote to a CNN story down in paragraph 14 read, quote, a source close to Trump's legal team said Trump's lawyers have had no contact with Meadows and his team and are in the dark on what Meadows is doing in the investigation, which was phrased in such a way that it made it sound like Trump's legal team knew that Meadows was doing something in the investigation. They just didn't know what And again, quoting that CNN story, fueling speculation about whether Meadows is cooperating with the special counsel's probe or if Meadows himself is a target of the investigation. Well, now we know how well-founded their speculation was. Meadows played this adroitly. The law firm representing him got 900 grand from the Trump Political Action Committee Save America last winter. Meadows got 500,000 more from a pro-Trump think tank in the spring. And then Meadows apparently got a plea deal from Jack Smith in the summer. He got the hush money, and he didn't even hush. So the news of the Meadows flip from ABC might have been a shock, but it was not a surprise. The bullet points of their story. Meadows met with Smith's team at least three times this year, once with the grand jury present. He's already testified under oath that he repeatedly told Trump after the election that the allegations of voting fraud were false and that he has never seen any evidence of fraud in the 2020 campaign. And Meadows told prosecutors that when Trump claimed victory early on election night, he was being, quote, dishonest, unquote, with the public. He told Smith's team, quote, obviously we didn't win, but he continued to maintain Trump's big lie throughout 2021 and in his autobiographical story of the Trump administration. And while Meadows insisted Trump never told him, I know I lost, he has reportedly testified that after the Supreme Court rejected Trump's last challenge, December 11th, 2020, Trump said to him, quote, something to the effect of, then that's the end, or so that's it. The Georgia 11,780 votes call was still 22 days away, and the coup attempt 26 days away. But that December 11th quote could be key to the essence of Smith's prosecution of Trump, that all of what Trump did was nothing close to an honest attempt to investigate a compromised election, and that Trump knew that he had lost and knew that he was lying every time he insisted otherwise. Dementia J. Trump is effed. And he was effed even before the Meadows flip broke and was later confirmed by Bloomberg News. Yesterday morning... Well, I believe that phrase is cry more. Thank you, Your Honor, for the opportunity to address the court. As an attorney who is also a Christian, I take my responsibilities as a lawyer very seriously, and I endeavor to be a person of sound moral and ethical character in all of my dealings. I believe in and I value election integrity. If I knew then what I know now, 
I would have declined to represent Donald Trump in these post-election challenges. If only I knew then what I did know then, but lied about. We should have seen this one coming. Throughout the second half of August, Jenna Ellis repeatedly tweeted questions about why Trump and MAGA were not paying for the legal fees of all of those who were indicted with him in Atlanta, especially her. On September 14th, that's a month and change ago, Jenna Ellis tweeted, over $200,000 raised for my defense fund. Thank you to everyone who is helping me fight a weaponized government and the criminalization of the practice of law, unquote. Jenna, that criminalization of the practice of law, were you for it or against it? The good news about what turns out to be $216,000 raised for Jenna Ellis is that A, it didn't come from anybody we like, and B, $10,000 of it was supposedly donated by Dinesh D'Souza. He'll be asking for that back. As noted before, the Ellis flip in Georgia differs from the ones by Kenneth Chesbro and Sidney Powell. It is a so-called full cooperation agreement, further meetings with the DA, further statements, testimony, especially about Rudy, against whom Jenna Ellis will finally get her revenge for farting on her. Meanwhile, back at the ranch... House Republicans continue to live under a Trump dictatorship, and their nominees for Speaker continue to have a shelf life that approximates that of the drummers from Spinal Tap. Number four, Tom Emmer had an elapsed time from nomination by the GOP caucus to withdrawing from consideration of four hours and nine minutes. Nominated at 12.15 Eastern, Audio of him from 2017 wondering if Trump were weak-minded emerges at 12.56 Eastern. Trump calls him a globalist rhino at 2.11 Eastern. Trump's team texts a screenshot of that to every Republican in the House at 2.35 Eastern. And Emmer spontaneously combusts at 4.24 Eastern. His crime, of course, was that he had voted to certify the 2020 election. Tom Emmer's Goddardamerung. Or in this case, Goddard-Demerung. As usual, being incapable of doing whatever the rules and history call for, namely what the other 117 Congresses have done in peace, in war, in civil war, during Whig Congresses, during Democratic Party Congresses, during Republican Party Congresses, during the original Democratic Republican Party Congresses, the Republicans floated yet another made-up unconstitutional idea last night, a co-speakership with Kevin McCarthy back as official speaker and Jim Jordan as deputy speaker. This was proposed by Kevin McCarthy. It, A, serves as a reminder that as they deposed him, I told you he'd be back, and B, serves as a reminder that Ronald Reagan was this close to getting former President Gerald Ford to run as his vice president in 1980 until Ford blew the thing by insisting that after they got elected, they would really be co-presidents. So if McCarthy gets this idea across the finish line somehow, just remember that the first business under a new McCarthy-Jordan speakership duet would be either for McCarthy to bump off Jordan or for Jordan to bump off McCarthy. 
The GOP caucus met again last night and opted for another insurrectionist, Congressman Mike Johnson, as speaker-designee. And if you tell me his name is actually John Mikeson, I'll believe you. On the third ballot last night, he got 128 votes, which is a scant 88 short of losing the actual election for speaker by one vote. The conference then held a roll call vote to see how many of them would support him on the floor. They did not ask. And uh, for how many hours? Johnson, you helped lead the efforts to overturn the 2020 election results. Will you oh, God. <laughs> The idiot booing that question last night is the North Carolina witch, Virginia Fox. They booed the reporter and told her to shut up when she asked about the insurrection that they largely supported and Johnson led. There is nobody in that group. Johnson was at the podium. Scalise was there. Stefanik. Nobody in that group is a loyal American. They are fascists. They are fascist bastards who must be exorcised from our nation. The side story to last night's caucus, Tennessee Congressman Chuck Fleischman texting somebody close to Trump what was going on in real time and Trump promptly posting screenshots of his texts. I'm in speaker race now. Please tell President Trump. Thanks. Five left. Voting now. All candidates now 100% Trump. All five. I preached Trump in my speech. The only thing Representative Fleischman left out was, please tell him not to kill me. Apart from the obvious point that every Republican in the House is, in fact, in reality, nothing more than a slave on the Trump plantation, there is the reality that in the last three weeks, the Congressional Party has destroyed what little credibility it had, not with Trump or the MAGA cult or with you or with me, but the credibility it needs for showdowns with the Democrats or the Senate or the White House. You got trouble with the new speaker? Speaker number five? Five? Speaker number five? If you're Hunter Biden or you're the president or you're Alejandro Mayorkas or you're just a lobbyist trying to throw his weight around and you don't get the answer you want from the House Republicans, you just park your hips on the nearest bus bench and you say, hey, uh, can you tell me what time the next speaker will be coming through? It's ludicrous and it's pathetic, and I almost feel sorry for those few dozen Republicans who must have to drink themselves to sleep every night in a desperate bid to stop feeling like the whores they are. And I cannot shake the idea that there have to be six or eight or ten of them who have seen one of several different lights and, at least in their minds, have a plan B. It could be the light of... I need to regain my self-respect. I'm not running for re-election. I'm going to go work at a sewage treatment facility. Or it could be the light of, I like Congress, but I don't belong to an organized political party. I'm a Republican. I need to change that. It could be the light of, I liked McCarthy and or Scalise and or Jordan and or Tom Emmer and or whoever and or being a congressman. And so I want revenge. Whatever light they see, the response might be to quit the party, continue to serve as independents, caucus with the Democrats, at least on this one thing, and just six of them could elect a blue dog Democrat or one of their own as the new speaker 
and Trump couldn't do a damn thing about it. Part of the future of American democracy could be resolved almost fatally to Trump by six Republicans with some kind of spine or at least some kind of vendetta. Or they can stay where they are in the kind of blissful stupidity of Marjorie Taylor Greene, who for all her braggadocio is clearly a masochist. Politico reports that during the candidate forum on Monday, not the one last night, not the one over the weekend, not the one last week, the one Monday, Green's entire line of questioning was to ask who would investigate Mayorkas and Attorney General Garland the hardest. Politico quotes her as saying, I want to know which one of you have the balls to hold them accountable. Which leads me to the observation that her rival, Lauren Boebert, would have just gotten her hands dirty and found that out for herself. Also of interest here, oh boy, World Series time. Fourth best team in the American League versus the, like, 12th, 16th best team in the National League. Just the way Abner Doubleday didn't draw it up. Kirsten Cinema thinks she's been a success and I have a special request from me to you in Every Dog Has Its Day. I'd like you to help me save a little Maltese abandoned in California by a puppy mill and then hit by a car. That's next. This is Countdown. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024. And we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother or, in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now Lovey. 
I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. This is SportsCenter. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, woo-hoo, the Dream World Series matchup. The fourth best team in the American League, the Texas Rangers, versus the sixth best team in the National League, the Arizona Diamondbacks who finished three games over 500 in the regular season, raising the question, why do they still play the regular season? To their credit, the Snakes did rally to come back from down three games to two to beat the Phillies in the National League Championship Series. The score was 4-2 in Game 7 last night, and Game 6 and 7 were on the road. So they won on the road just as the Texas Rangers rallied to win on the road against the Houston Astros. Reliever Kevin Ginkle of Arizona came in with one out in the bottom of the seventh inning. His team up by two. The tying runs for the Phillies on base. He got Trey Turner and Bryce Harper to fly out. Then in the eighth, Ginkle struck out Alec Bohm. He struck out Bryson Stott, and he struck out JT Real Muto. As impressive a relief appearance as the playoffs have seen in years. And now the Rangers-Diamondbacks World Series, which I suspect, as I've suggested before, will not draw an average of $10 million a night in TV ratings. A sidebar to the outcome, though, and a positive one, MLB Network host and ESPN screamer Chris Russo said Monday that if the Diamondbacks went into Philadelphia and beat the Phillies in games 6 and 7 to reach the series, quote, I will retire on the spot. Enjoy your retirement. I have mentioned before, Russo is a very nice man and pretty good at the business of media, and he has forged a long and lucrative career, and I think he is one of the most unbearable broadcasters I have ever heard in any language. The first time I heard him and Mike Francesa on WFAN radio in New York while I was vacationing back home in the late 1980s, I literally assumed that the AFTRA union had gone on strike and two guys from building maintenance were doing their show. I have never understood one word either of them has said. Never once. Russo talks. All I hear is, Also, Russo screams a lot. But now, our long national nightmare is over. Christopher Russo has retired. Thank you, and God bless you. Arizona Diamondbacks. Also, congratulations to the National Hockey League, which has steered out of its latest self-inflicted disaster and reversed its ruling that its players could not use pride-colored tape on their sticks 
because, of course, that would contradict the league's decision to appease homophobic interests by canceling all the Pride Night jerseys and player involvement on Pride Night. One player, Travis Dermott of Arizona, ignored the rule, used the tape in a game the other day, and the league caved. The league caved because that's what Commissioner Gary Bettman is good at. Caving. Everybody has a skill. Now the NHL can step on another rake it has left there, which I see will occur, checks notes, tonight. The league thought having all of its 32 teams play last night would be a great promotional stunt, provided that each game began at a slightly different time because... That's cool, huh? No? Okay, we tried. The second half of the National Hockey League disaster is the 16 NHL games last night were up against Game 7 of the Phillies Diamondbacks series and opening night of the NBA. Tonight, there is no baseball, and the NHL has one game scheduled. You know, if two teams just show up at a rink somewhere and play anyway, Commissioner Bettman will probably just have to cave to that, too. countdown something in that co-speaker idea and the co-president idea from 1980 that it invoked also reminded me of the most talented newscaster i ever worked with he got fired because he went on the air and said looks like it'll be reagan and bush and he said this about seven hours after the reagan and bush deal collapsed his copy was old and he didn't know it oops the tragic story of the great Will Spence. Coming up, first time for the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze Miranda Devine of the New York Post, who has written a lengthy column explaining how the left got snookered by Sidney Powell. The headline is, Trump and Giuliani never fell for Sidney Powell's 2020 election kraken, but the left sure did. Miranda Devine's article goes on to explain that Trump and Rudy knew that Powell's election fraud claims were nonsense and lies, and they fired her three different times, and aren't they smart? The article never once remembers that the gist of Jack Smith's case is that Trump and Rudy knew the election fraud claims were nonsense and lies, and her column means Trump knew that the election fraud claims were nonsense and lies. So thanks, Miranda Devine! The runner-up, good old Senator Kirsten Cinema. Did I mention I went out on a couple of dates with her before she went crazy? Completely crazy, anyway? The new McKay Coppins book on Mitt Romney has Romney recounting a conversation with Cinema on her prospects for re-election next year, where right now she's at 19% and is in third place as a sitting U.S. Senator behind Carrie Lake and the frontrunner, Ruben Gallego. All of this matters not, according to what she told Mitt, quoting Coppins, quoting Mitt, quoting her. I don't care. 
I can go on any board I want to. I can be a college president. I can do anything. I saved the Senate filibuster by myself. I saved the Senate by myself. That's good enough for me. As I said, I, I went out with her before she went crazy. But those, I saved the Senate, I can be a college president now, delusions of grandeur, they were already in the works in 2010 and 2011. I believe in this quote. But our winner is Texas Senator Ted Cruz. There are a thousand political and governmental ways I could prove to you he is an utter fraud, but we don't need to get that serious. Just rely on this. After the Texas Rangers, that's that's Texas, as in the state he represents in the Senate, after the Texas Rangers beat the Houston Astros Monday night to reach the World Series, Cruz tweeted, now, one more reminder, the name of the team is the Texas Rangers. Cruz writes, congrats to the Rangers. I'm a lifelong Astros fans. Tough night, but Dallas won it with a fantastic performance in Game 7. They earned it, and we have a Texas team in the World Series, so go Rangers, unquote. The Rangers. The team the senator from Texas thinks is called the Dallas Rangers even though they've always been called the Texas Rangers ever since the franchise moved in from Washington, D.C. And it didn't move in the other day. This happened in 1972. Ted, I guess they don't broadcast Texas Rangers games in Cancun Cruise today's worst person in the world series. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024. And we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question, it's going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. 
Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just ahead, the idea that Kevin McCarthy and Jim Jordan could be co-speakers Invoking Ronald Reagan and Gerald Ford, who are going to be co-presidents. That one, as I mentioned earlier, blew up at 8 p.m. one night in 1980. But the newscaster at my radio station in New York at 5 a.m. did not know it had blown up. And that helped to get him fired. The most talented and tragic broadcaster I ever worked with, Will Spence, in Things I Promise Not to Tell. Next. First, time to feature a very special dog in need you can help. Every dog has its day. And I've told you before about my late, brave, lovable pup, Mishu. Mishu was the one with the heart condition that was so bad, it claimed him at the age of five and a half months, two long years ago next month. Imagine my surprise the other day when my friends at AMAR, American Maltese Association Rescue, asked for my help on a Maltese hit by a car in Sacramento left to die by the side of the road after earlier clearly having been abandoned by a puppy mill. There was ephemeral fracture. There were pelvic fractures. The original idea was it's going to cost $14,000 to repair her completely. That's a lot of money. About $10,000 for the pelvis. That needs to be done to save her life. $4,000 for the compromised leg. So why not take the easier route, amputate that bad leg, and just fix the pelvis? And I said, "Eh, no, not on my watch. I'll raise the $4,000 for the leg, or I'll donate it myself. So AMAR said, great. And I said, great. And I said, send me her name and a photo, and I'll put it on the podcast. And two hours later, my friend there reported through tears that the injured Maltese girl's name is Misha. I'm full up here in the house or I'd adopt her myself. So this one's personal. I'm basically going to match donations up to $4,000. So if you can donate to Misha, she's on Giving Grid right now. Plus, I'll send out the link on my Twitter feeds. Anything you give will make a difference. Misha thanks you. I thank you. And Mishu thanks you.
Hauser will have more to say and we'll answer the question, how hot was it at Yankee Stadium yesterday on the Sports Report at about 8.35. And that man's name is Keith Olbermann. Now, how hot was it at Yankee Stadium, Bob Harris? Got to figure about... Uh... I once worked with a newscaster, the most talented person I have ever worked with. And he not only made an unbelievable blooper on one of the big radio stations in New York, but after he did that, they warned him that if he ever did something like that again, they would fire him. And he did it again, and they fired him. His name was Will Spence, and by the time he was 18 years old, he was the news director of a radio station in Connecticut. And he was a substitute anchor at the age of 18 on the top all-news radio station in the country, WCBS in New York. 18. Not long after that, he went to NBC and was the original newsman on Don Imus's radio show. He jumped right from that to being a TV reporter on the NBC station in New York, age 24 or 25, and the sky was the limit. And he was simply a genius and fitting the best definition of that word, someone who could do something with ease that nobody else would even attempt. Will Spence was reporting for the NBC station, Channel 4 in New York, on New York's fiscal crisis of the late 70s, and he had scooped the competition and gotten details of a complicated rescue plan with debt transference and algorithms and adjusted interest rates, and, and, and not one moment of his important scoop was on camera. The people who gave him that story would not permit themselves to be recorded or even quoted. So Will simply had his cameraman set up at the foot of the steps of New York City Hall and said to him, follow me, stop at Park Row, and then three, two, one, and then Will began to walk. The cameraman was next to him and he began to walk, and for two and a half minutes, with impeccable sentence structure and diction and complete accuracy, Will Spence took this extraordinarily complicated rescue plan for New York's hemorrhaging finances with algorithms and explained it calmly, succinctly, expertly, simply, a little touch of snark in his voice, and he kept walking and kept walking and kept walking and kept looking to the cameraman by his side and then away and to the ground and then back to the cameraman, and then he stopped on the sidewalk of Park Row where he was perfectly framed by the Brooklyn Bridge. Will Spence, News Center 4 at City Hall. I couldn't do that in a million years, and I'm okay with doing stuff like that. To be fair, that was take two. On take one, Will had mistimed what he wanted to say and where he wanted to walk, and instead of he and the cameraman stopping on the sidewalk of the street, Park Row, the cameraman stopped, but Will had not yet finished, so Will kept walking into the street itself, and the video then showed him diving out of the way as a garbage truck barreled toward him on Park Row at about 45 miles an hour. And that was the other side of Will Spence. For every act of genius, there was a garbage truck heading towards him with his name on it. I don't know what happened at Channel 4, but I do know he got fired. I know that when I met him in 1980, when I was 21 and he was 30, I was convinced he was closer to 40. And on the morning shift of the New York radio station where we both worked, Will had a little trouble with his own schedule. He was supposed to be there at 3.15 a.m. and on the air for his first newscast at 5 a.m. The station was WNEW, and its decades-old news sound was the bonga bongas. That sound, bonga 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 bonga, repeating endlessly. I saw Will Spence walk in one morning, pale as a sheet, in his raincoat, gesticulating wildly with his left hand for a news desk assistant to hand him a script, any script, 
at exactly 5 a.m. No, actually, a few seconds after 5 a.m., so late that the disc jockey was already playing the WNEW news sound, and we were at about the 8th or ninth bonga bonga. And I saw him, a small stack of copy jammed into his left hand by the desk assistant, a stack of copy he had not even looked at, with his raincoat still on, sit down, throw his microphone toggle open, and say, flawlessly, WNW News, it's 83 degrees and raining at 5 o'clock. I'm Will Spence. Mayor Koch will meet this morning with representatives of the United Nations to discuss. Like he had been there for hours and written the copy himself and practiced it aloud for three or four times. From the standpoint of the viewer or the listener, Will could sound perfect when he had crafted a thing of genius like the walking stand-up on the fiscal crisis, but he could also sound perfect when he had just staggered into the booth having successfully found the location of the radio station on the 8th or 9th bonga. And unfortunately, that skill was his undoing. On the night of Wednesday, July 16, 1980, Republican presidential nominee Ronald Reagan was in deep discussions with former president, former vice president, Gerald Ford, about Ford running with him as Reagan's vice president. It was unprecedented in American history. It led all the newscasts that night. It was the featured story on all the wire services. Books have been written about this evening and those discussions. And they all fell apart about 11 p.m. because Ford made it clear to Reagan that whoever was president and whoever was vice president, Ford expected them to be more or less co-presidents. Before the calendar had turned to Thursday, July 17, 1980, the deal was dead. Reagan had selected George H.W. Bush as his running mate, and our timeline was irrevocably altered. How dare you, sir? And about five hours later, and about 12 bongas into the 5 o'clock newscast on Thursday, July 17th, in walked Will Spence, this time simply grabbing the first stack of copy he saw, falling into the announce booth, opening up his mic, and starting to read. Unfortunately, what he had grabbed was the previous night's 9 p.m. newscast script. WNEW News, it's 83 degrees and raining at 5 o'clock. I'm Will Spence. It seems certain that American history may be made. A man will run for president, and his running mate will be a former president. The Republican 1980 ticket, Reagan and Ford. Those who were there in the newsroom told me they were startled by how many people were actually listening to the 5 a.m. news and were willing to call in and complain and call Will Spence an idiot. Upper management wanted to call him something else, fired, but he had a guardian angel at WNEW in the news director, Sam Hall, who had also been his boss in the Imus days, and Sam gave him another chance but said, do it again and you're gone. I really don't know what was wrong with Will. He told me he smoked a lot of weed. He said he was hypoglycemic. Somebody at WNBC said he used to sit at his desk, pressing his hands to his skull and mumbling, tumors, I can feel them growing, tumors. He was sometimes charming. He gave extraordinarily good career advice, sometimes constructively, and sometimes advice that was designed to leave you bleeding. During a commercial break, Preceding one of my short sportscasts, I sat down in the booth with him, and as an aggressively cheerful ad for a bank played in the background, Will let loose on me. So I heard him and this commercial for the bank mixed together, juxtaposed like this. 
You have potential, Oberman, but you have to change your entire delivery. We're the friendly bank. You can go up to Yankee Stadium, interview every player and every fan, and play all the little cuts you want on the radio, but you get nowhere if you can't read the script like a man. We're the bank that cares about you. You're nasal, you sound constipated. You get nowhere in this business. On the other hand, I could read the phone book on the air and make it sound like the Bible. Come in and see our friendly tellers today. Shape up or you're fired. And, by the way, fix your damned eyebrows. Manhattan Bank, member FDIC. Now with sports, good morning, Keith Olbermann. I said nothing. For a second, maybe more, I contemplated using a falsetto. And I finally stammered through my 30 seconds, got up to leave, and as Spence threw to the weatherman, Spence said, And that sucked, too! I was the only person left at WNEW who liked him, and I was beginning to hate him. He would take me aside sometimes and tell me that his first wife and her divorce lawyer were up in the blimp, following him around the city. Sometimes he claimed they were working in cahoots with the news director, Sam Hall, to destroy him, when in fact Hall was the only thing standing between him and unemployment. Somebody once made a mild joke about him and his age in the newsroom, and he threw a stapler at them. He complained one of the women there was stalking him. In fact, he was stalking her. And inevitably, on October 3rd, 1980, he either made an impossibly unlucky grab for an old script during the 17th bongo or something, or more likely, somebody in the newsroom set him up. WNEW News, it's 55 degrees and raining at 5 o'clock. I'm Will Spence, the Pope. John Paul II made history arriving in our city yesterday, and today a ticker tape parade, and then he will address the faithful at Madison Square Garden. Coverage of the Pope all day on WNEW News. That had happened on October 3rd, 1979. This was now October 3rd, 1980. Will Spence was reading, literally, year-old news. As I recall, they fired him before his shift ended, maybe before the next newscast. Year-old news. Months later, I was working at the RKO Radio Network for my boss, Charlie Steiner, one of the voices of the Dodgers now, when RKO expanded and started a second network, and they brought in, to run it, Sam Hall. Sam Hall hired a bunch of guys with great pipes, and he hired Will Spence. Olderman, I see you took my advice. Look at this. Something whizzed past me and stuck in a box of wire copy. It's a Brazilian throwing dagger. I have a collection. At RKO... On the night of the Grammys, Will interweaved a clip of every winning song into his script, live on the air, throwing cartridges left and right as he did it. The next hour, he updated it with the latest winner. The next hour, he updated it with the latest winner after that. It was utter, unqualified genius. And he also told me at RKO there was a woman stalking him, who in fact he was stalking, and he addressed everybody by their job title. Tape editor, come here. And once they postponed a 9 a.m. staff meeting until 3 p.m. and didn't tell him before he drove in from his house in Connecticut, so he simply went to his Manhattan studio apartment and, as he told me, smoked pot for six hours. And then he came back and insulted literally every member of the 40-person staff, went from one to the other to the other, saying as nasty a thing as he could think of about them. When our nicest, sweetest news editor stood up on her desk and screamed, 
Spence, get the F out of here before I kill you, before we all kill you. He was genuinely shocked, ashen. He came over to me. A lot of the bravado was gone. Olderman, for God's sakes, help me. Help me, Keith. Well, I heard his life story. It took two hours. We went into Steiner's office. We stole two of Charlie's cigars and smoked them. It was the living embodiment of the phrase, just because you're paranoid, it does not mean they are not out to get you. I was trying to think how to help him when days later news came that he had been hired as a TV reporter by another New York TV station, WABC Eyewitness News. And then over there on his first day, he was bitten by a dog. And he wanted to go to the hospital to get checked out. They made him go out on another story instead. Dogs, garbage trucks, they all had Will's name on them. A decade later, Will wound up in L.A., where I had made my mark by then as a local TV sportscaster. He had been hired by a rival station and still did those incredible, intricate walking stand-ups, now live every night, usually from a crime scene on the 11 o'clock news. One night, his own crew managed to not just sabotage him, but knock him down with a slow-moving car live on the air while he was declaiming into the camera. His last job at yet another L.A. station he got because the aging woman anchor there, 15 years his senior, had taken a fancy to him. She got fired, he got fired, and one day the phone rang at MSNBC, maybe 2006? It was Will Spence. The Pope had sent a hit squad to kill him, he said. The whole Catholic Church was involved. Did I have the number of the woman who used to stalk him? It was far more awful than it sounds. I think somebody sent me an email early in April 2008. I'm pretty sure that's how I found out. Will Spence had driven his car at high speed into a bridge abutment in Ventura County outside L.A., there was a story that he had had heart problems and had just seen his doctor and gotten bad news, but we'll never know for sure. I went to put together a little tribute to him that night on Countdown, and online I could not find a single photo of him nor any form of biography. Even now, there is one photo accompanying a sad tribute to him, published a couple of weeks later in one of the newspapers in Ventura County. It was a tribute not unlike this one. What a wasted life. How much you wanted to hate him and couldn't. And on YouTube, there is a tape of one Will Spence TV report from November 18th, 1981, Channel 7 in New York. This talent who could decipher the plan to save New York City from bankruptcy and recite it as he walked exists forever for two minutes and 46 seconds of his report on the marriage of Luke and Laura from ABC's General Hospital. And by the way, even it is brilliant. It looks like it'll be Reagan and Ford. Uh, Will Spence. What a tragedy. I've done all the damage I can do here. Thank you for listening. Countdown has come to you from the Vin Scully Studios at the Elderman Broadcasting Empire here in New York. 
Countdown musical directors Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel arranged, produced, and performed most of our music. Mr. Chanel handling orchestration and keyboards, Mr. Ray on the guitars, bass, and drums, and it was all produced by TKO Brothers. Other music, including other Beethoven music, arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. The sports music, courtesy of ESPN Inc., it was written by Mitch Warren Davis. We call it the Olbermann theme from ESPN2. Our satirical and pithy musical comments are by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend Dennis Leary. Everything else is pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, the 1,023rd day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Convict him now while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. Bulletins as the news warrants. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know what happened next. To find out, listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.